It's the Locked On Aggies Podcast, presented by Locked On Podcast Network, talking all things Texas A&M. Now, here's your host, Cole Thompson. Howdy, everybody, and welcome into another episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson back here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. And guys, it is a new year, which means I'm going to need a new slogan. So if you have something in mind, please give it to me. I am struggling to saying getting you ready for this upcoming game for football. And there is no upcoming game for football for a while, at least not until spring ball, where it's the maroon and white game later on in April. Uh, but besides that, you know, there is still basketball going on and there still is football in the sense of recruiting. Both things we will be talking about and featuring several former Aggies and what they did this past weekend in the NFL world during wild card playoffs. Before we begin, just some house cleaning rules. Make sure you're following us on social media at Locked On Aggies, at Aggies SI. Both of those we tweet out daily, our content we tweet out daily where you can listen to the show, what you can expect on the show, and breaking kind of a recap down. You can follow both those at Aggies SI, at Locked on Aggies, and check out all of our great written work at si.com slash T-A-M-U. Last but not least, if you want to follow me and what I've been doing, just give me a shout out. Give me uh, maybe a heads up what you really like, things you don't like. It's really simple. I'm a mister. I'm Cole Thompson. That's my Twitter handle. That's my name. Don't wear it out. At Mr. Cole Thompson, at Aggies SI, and at Locked on Aggies. This past weekend, Texas A&M opened the SEC basketball season up away from College Station. They'll still be away from College Station for a little bit in Bud Walton Arena to take on the Arkansas Razorbacks. Now, when you look at these two teams, you have to realize that one has struggled a little bit over the past few years in A&M. They went out and they hired a innovative coach, a guy who was going to change the culture in College Station in Buzz Williams. Mike Anderson actually succeeded immensely at Arkansas, but he unfortunately wasn't able to get the job in the last several years. I think it was really the last two two years and was fired due to it. Luckily, he did land on his feet. He's now in Queens, New York with the St. John's men's basketball team, the Red Storm. But overall, you do have to look at this team and go, okay, what was going to be the next move? And Eric Musselman uh, from Nevada ended up being the guy that they replaced him with. Well, right now, he has his team looking pretty dapper heading into SEC play, and it only got better when they faced off against Texas A&M's Buzz Williams. Sometimes it's going to take a little bit of time to build a program, and sometimes the pieces are right there. For Musselman, he's right there already. For Williams, it's going to take a little bit of time, I think, before A&M is relevant back in the basketball world. There were some promises early for this A&M's men's basketball team, thanks to strong play from Savion Flag, the junior uh, guard, would make seven points in the first half and score the team would actually score 42 percent of their points overall before it was really the fourth quarter turnovers they were only down by three going into the last 10 minutes and then turnovers happened which were a big 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 problem in the game uh, late turnovers led to a major run for the Razorbacks putting AM in a hole they would force 11 total stops four in four total minutes and put the team down by 10 
with the game on the line. They were down by at most 11 with three minutes left in the game. Williams said afterwards, those turnovers, that was the cushion that we couldn't overcome. The last 10 minutes and 10 seconds of the first half, kind of the same thing. Turnover by the Aggies, made field goal by Arkansas. We have to get the shots at the rim. They shot 34 balls in the second half. We shot 19. We have to get the same number of field goal attempts as the opponent. That's going to be a problem when you look at this AM basketball team. Right now, they are shooting the worst in the field goal range in the SEC by a significant amount, 42%, 41%. They're not making their three throws. I think they're second, they're 13th in that category. Field goal, uh, three-point range, bottom, 14th as well. And also, they don't really have a true leader outside of Josh Nebo, who is a senior. You're putting a lot of pressure on Andre Gordon, the freshman, to be the future of the program. And that's if he only stays and doesn't go to, say, the NBA draft with a productive year. There's a lot to look at with the start of SEC play that could really hurt this A&M team. Right now, they're sitting at 6-6 six and six and 0-1 and in, in conference. That's okay. There is a lot of room to grow with a schedule like that. But then you have to look at their schedule moving forward and wonder, okay, where do we go from here? Because of if we lose, how do we pick out the pieces? They'll face against Ole Miss tomorrow. Then they'll go stay on the road on Saturday against Vanderbilt. They'll finally come home on the 14th against LSU. Then they face South Carolina, Missouri, Oklahoma State, Tennessee, Georgia. Five of those teams are above 500. And they're right at 500. You don't want to see a team have multiple upset games. You want to see them win significantly. And I don't think that that's going to happen. It's going to be an uphill battle every step of the way to get this team heading in the right direction. And you have to hope that Williams is up for that challenge. Because he's going to have to convince players that this process will work while he's recruiting and while he's hoping to get more talent. But at the same time, it helps that you have a guy such as Gordon, who after the game, Williams did say only positive things about him. For a freshman first game on the road who's not a point, but because of where we're at, is having to play the point, has grown a lot in the month of December. He's trying to do whatever his teammates are asking him to do. His teammates have done a really good job of helping him grow because his teammates know he has to play the point, and they understand the burden that is for him. But I thought he did some really good things for us. All right. Build with him and hope for a stronger future. Maybe Arkansas is just a really good team. I mean, you look at their record right now, they're sitting with one loss in the year. They've beaten a pretty good Indiana team as well. There's a lot to break down with this. That when you look at Arkansas, maybe that doesn't say everything you need to know about them. A&M. Maybe it just says a lot more about Arkansas than it does anything else. But... You're looking at the 6-6 six six team, that's the second worst record 
in basketball. Only one worse, Alabama. And everyone else is either right above that 9-10 win range or they're near the top. So this could be a long season for A&M if they continue to play and they continue to shoot the way that they are, especially around the basket. Speaking around the basket, this past weekend in San Antonio, there were several players who were able to reach into a basket and decide where they will be going to their college days. A&M actually landed one player, and we're going to be breaking down his stats and his role with the A&M football program in just a quick moment. Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Guys, if you're not tuning in to all of our great Locked On Podcast shows, what are you doing? We have over two dozen college football, college basketball channels. We also have going on right now a ton of content with the NFL, especially with playoff season. You're going to want to know what the offseason plans are for every team. And at the same time, you're going to want to know exactly what you can expect for the playoff contending teams. So make sure you check out all of our great work at LockedOnPodcast.com. This past weekend in the Alamo City, we had the annual All-American game featuring the players from the U.S. Army staff. And this is a big game that we always see in the Alamo Dome. Players who are not sure of where they're going to go. Uh, This is just one of those moments where we get to break down. They'll make their big decisions. A lot of players will still wait until the National Signing Day. But with early signing period now kind of taking control, the National Signing Day is kind of on the back burner. And this is really like the last day of big recruiting coverage for a while until you start looking at the future season. A&M had signed already 22 active players to their roster, so you knew that they were going to be in good hands. They currently ranked 6th on most websites, Rivals and 24-7 Sports. Both had them as the number 6 recruiting class, but that number could be trending up with the addition of a new outside linebacker. Edger and Cooper, originally committed to Oklahoma, decommitted in about late November, and said that he would open up his process, hoping to find out where he would maybe better fit. A&M jumped on the challenge to add an outside linebacker to their core, and with the success of Jimbo Fisher and what he was able to do, whatever he was able to say to the young man, whatever he was able to you know, show the program, it worked out because during the middle of the second quarter, Cooper declared that he would be attending A&M for the next three to four seasons. When you look at this kid, he is a productive player who plays a position of need. I think that's the biggest thing you look at and you're wondering, okay, where does he fit in and how does this work? Four-star linebacker, he was the he was a top 20 linebacker in the entire nation, number 8 player in the state of Louisiana. Uh, he had a ton of offers. He had offers from LSU, offers from Louisville, offers from a lot of smaller schools, Tulane, Louisiana Monroe. Louisiana Lafayette, but in the end, A&M just seemed like the good fit. He actually got to spend the weekend playing with a guy that he's going to be playing with inside at the linebacker position in Antonio Doyle, fellow four-star. If those two can show production and be those type of players that are game changers for a defense... When Buddy Johnson and Anthony Hines leave 
the program. That could be, that's probably next year. At least it is for Buddy Johnson. You now have two immediate replacements, unlike you had this past season. Anthony Hines wasn't expected to start, Buddy Johnson was. But when Otero, Alaka, and Tyrell Dotson both declared for the NFL draft, that opened up the window for different players to go ahead and kind of make their position. You know you're losing these guys next year. So you have younger talent, both of Cooper and Doyle, to come in, work off the edge, maybe move one inside. My guy goes defense, runs a lot of five, uh, four, two sets. So a lot of nickel formation. You play the two of them, and you have your core linebackers for the next several seasons. Who's the number 18 outside linebacker in the nation, number eight player in the state. AM's defense is going to be very special in a few years. And it could be next year for all we know. People I've spoken to have said Mike Elko will be a head coach at some point in his career. And I believe that next year could be the year where he gets serious consideration because of the defense. You look at some of the players that they signed. Antonio Johnson. Jalen Jones. Antonio Doyle. Danelle Harris. Fadil Diggs. Now you have Edger and Cooper. And you're going to pair that with guys such as DeMarvin Leal and Tyree Johnson and Buddy Johnson for next season. And you're also going to have Devin Smith in the, uh, in the nickel position. That's a ton of production. And while you're going to rely a lot on your younger staff to kind of make that impact on defense, if they all hit early, Kind of like we saw this season with offensively, Isaiah Spiller, Anaya Smith, Kenyon Green, all of them. And you also have the offensive players such as uh, Damon Davis and Devin Acne, whatever role he plays. How do you not think that this AM team has not improved? But also, how do you not see where this AM team? is going to take that next leap and be one of the more complete teams in the future. Speaking of futures, several AM players have already made their futures happen with their success in the NFL, and we're going to be breaking down what they did this past wildcard weekend in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies. Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things AM. Guys, make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson, at Aggies SI, our Sports Illustrated sister site, and at Locked On Aggies. We've already seen players from the 12th man make their mark at the next level, but several actually did have pretty extensive roles this past weekend in the first round of the NFL wildcard. So why don't we go through and break down what they did? Although he hasn't played a dominant role legitimately as a pass catcher, as a runner, as really anything, Colin Gaspila, former 12th man, stepped up immensely for this Houston Texans team. It was late in the third quarter. They're down by 16. 16 and nothing, by the way. Then you see... Deshaun Watson pick up a big first down to Duke Johnson. Next play, 
he wants the end zone. He breaks free, works his way into the second, third line of defense. Here comes Micah Hyde. That ran to make a hit. Nope. Instead, former 12th man Gaspila makes a critical block that allows Watson to score a 20-yard touchdown, bringing back the Texans and giving them new life. Two plays later, they would go again and get the two-point conversion. The defense would step up immensely, getting a couple big-time stops, especially on Josh Allen. The Texans' offense would find a rhythm with Carlos Hyde and Watson, and in the end, thanks to the magicianal styles of Watson, they would set up for a 29-yard field goal in overtime to win and move on to the divisional round of the playoffs, 22-19. They will face Kansas City next week. A lot of people didn't believe that Ryan Tannehill had anything left in the tank. And you know what? With the number of injuries he sustained in Miami, there's a reason to believe that. To say that he wasn't a good quarterback or a capable quarterback, that's a little wrong. And he kind of proved that all season by the way he led this Titans team. He came in not even midseason, like week five, and he picked up Nine win, eight wins, eight total wins on the year, two lot, three losses, and one of those losses wasn't even his fault. It was just a close game. Well, he picked up a win again this past weekend. Really, it was on the legs of Derrick Henry, but thanks to Tannehill's instigation, setting up the calls, making sure that the offense was running smooth, and keeping a rhythm going for Henry to score. The Titans actually upset the New England Patriots 20-13. He would go 8-15 for for 72 yards. He would actually throw a touchdown pass. Uh, That would be in the, what was it? Yeah, it was in the first quarter. 12-yard touchdown pass to Anthony Fickler, making it 7-3. But the real story was Derrick Henry rushed for 182 yards on 34 carries, one touchdown. New England goes down. Speaking of New England, when you look at their roster, they feature, I think, only one a and player, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Jermaine Elmanour. Uh, he is a second-string guard. He did not play that much. I believe he only took three total snaps, if I counted correctly. Moving on to New Orleans, down in the bayou. There's only one player to look at, but he's a big-time name. It's, for, it's One of our all-decade players we actually did speak about, Eric McCoy, drafted second round last year. He has helped the Saints offense thrive this season. In against Minnesota, they would put up 324 points. Uh, they would average six yards per play. And as the center, McCoy is in charge of getting the ball back to Drew Brees. There wasn't really a loss on his part. He's been very phenomenal overall. But this was just a game that was meant for Kirk Cousins to find success. Late in the game, in overtime, after a Will Lutz field goal sent it that way, Cousins would finally make an $84 million throw to connect with Adam Thielen for 43 yards. That's that's what the stat line's going to say, and there's so much more you can say about it, but that's just how you have to word it right now because there's nothing else to really say. That would set up for a five-yard touchdown pass to Kyle Rudolph. Moving on the Vikings to a 26-20 victory. They will travel to the Bay Area next week to face off against the top-seeded San Francisco 49ers. When you look at Philadelphia, um, there are there's only one player on the Eagles roster, Deshaun Hall. 
He was placed on the injured reserve earlier this season, so we knew he wasn't going to play. But on the flip side, Jermaine Effetti, the starting right tackle, has been very productive this season and a critical factor to the success of MVP caliber quarterback Russell Wilson. Once again, the offense had a pretty solid day overall. Uh, when you look at the numbers, total of 382 yards. Wilson, I believe, had a total of, yeah, he had almost all 382 of them combined. The only ones he didn't were a 12 yards from Tyler Homer and 7 yards from Marshawn Lynch. It was a close game. Josh McCown had to come in because of a late hit on Jadavian Clowney, and he played pretty decently for a backup quarterback and then starting in his first playoff game at 40 years old. 18 for 24, 174 yards. He was sacked six total times. And in the end, a 36-yard reception from D to DK Metcalf. Set the mark. Moved Seattle forward. They win 17-9. They will face off against the Green Bay Packers next week. For those of you who try to keep score of who to watch for, you will see Colin Gaspala take on former teammate Armani Watts in Arrowhead Stadium. That game will be on Sunday. Uh, I believe it's a 3 o'clock kickoff central time if you want to watch that. If you want to go watch either team uh, for San Francisco, you can go watch Demontre Moore's San Francisco team, but unfortunately he will not be playing in the game because of uh, he was placed on the injured reserve in Week 13. That game that will be the very first game of the divisional rounds. If you want to watch both Kingsley Kiki and Jay Sternberger take on the Seattle Seahawks and Jermaine Erfetti. That will be the last game of the day. It is a 6-20 kick uh, in Lambeau Field. Both those players have made little room. Uh, or Kiki, Kiki has been productive in the trenches as both a 5 technique and a 3 technique. Uh, Sternberger kind of is getting a little bit more adjusted. He started the season off on the injured reserve and missed all the way up until about week 10 Really only active for about four games this season. Didn't really do much with it. Only was targeted one time. Finally, last game to look at, you have Otero Orlaca and Daylon Mack. Both will not be playing in their game, but Baltimore will be taking on Tannehill and the Tennessee Titans. That will be on Saturday night. Uh, both players, Orlaca uh, was a 53-man roster addition who was placed on the IR after week two. Daylon Mack was placed on the week uh, on the IR after week 14. Both their seasons ended on a sour note. No, neither really made that impact you wanted to see from them. That's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following us on social media at Locked on Aggies, at Aggies SI, and at Mr. Cole Thompson. Tomorrow, we will take a look at the Ole Miss roster and what we can expect from this Rebels team as the Aggies will march their way into Oxford to take on Ole Miss in basketball. We will see you tomorrow. And remember, Gagam y'all, this has been Locked on Aggies. Presented by the Locked on Podcast Network.